Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! I'm telling you, my spider sense is tingling. Amazing Spider-Man number 129 mint condition. Worth a thousand bucks. Comic book. No, it's not just a comic book. This is the first appearance of a Punisher. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Willow, but it's the fat signal. How do I get it to work? Willpower. Like the Green Lantern's ring. You call it comic books. That's so cute. Cute. It's very rugged and manly. Just a bit geek, huh? I think it's sweet. It must be really hard when all your friends have, like, superpowers. You must feel like Jimmy Olsen. You can't charge innocent people for saving their lives. Spider-Man does. Action is his reward. Hey, Kiss Comics! Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Hey, Kids Comics, which is a weekly comic book podcast that's a podcast about comics. So I procrastinated all that time for that intro. Yeah, it was mind-blowing. <laughs> it wasn't worth it, was it? <laughs> oh, hello everyone. I hope you're well. hope it's all nice. hope you've not turned into a puddle of water because of the heat. Well, I've been setting on fire a bit. Have you? Yeah. You, you stop on the way to school, right? Yeah. I'm terrified walking to school because I know that if I stop for a second, you know, if, they, if the lights are on green and I have to wait for the cars to pass, I'll set on fire if I stay there long. <laughs> Yeah. Just combust. It's that hot. I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, it. Inadvertently, England has had a summer this year. Yeah, yeah. How weird. This is what the rest of the world is like. Yeah, hot and sunny. Hot hot and sunny. sunny. Every day, hot and sunny. (laughs) (laughs) So, then, if you are listening to this, as it goes up, if you're one of those people who is listening to the episode the minute that we put it up, Mm-hmm. And we, we love you. We think you're the best kind of people. Yeah. People that listen to the show straight away. We think you're great. The ones who stay up all night waiting for it. Waiting for that. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? To see think that... That amount of dedication. That's brilliant, I think. Then you've still got time to get your questions in. Into us. The stipulations are as ever. Yeah. You don't have to send us three questions, but three questions is nice. Uh, one for me, one for Michael, and one for the extended family, if that's what you wish. But you don't have to follow that criteria. You can just send us one question. If you want to, and uh, we will be looking at all of those tonight, and then deciding whether or not we're going to do that show next week or not, or even tonight. We may do that show tonight. Yeah, you never know. So that gives you until uh, until record time tonight, which is about half past seven UK time. I'm confused with all this talk. I have no idea if you mean now or when this goes up. No, no, when this is up. Right. On that, on it's the also date. very confusing. Uh, this will go up on the 1st of August. And we will record on the 1st of August. And we will record on the 1st of August. And we may record the Q&A session on the 1st of August. I've not decided yet. Where's that lady I want to be? Hmm? When else would we do it? Well, it would be the week after, wouldn't it? We'd do it on the 8th. But, you know, I've not decided yet. So you've still got time, if you're listening to this as it goes live to send us your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, we have some emails. Yes, we do. Always nice. It is. To have so then we wouldn't have this part of the show. That's true, and we would have to do either more work yeah. to cover this part of the show, or this part of the show would not happen, and you would be listening to blank audio. It would have a boring episode. Yeah. I think you could have fixed that in We'd have 30 minutes of blank, and then, Linking time. And then an advert, yeah. and then we'd come back with the... the the show. Like, like the last track on an album. Yeah. Where they have a 20 minute gap and then they have a little hidden track at yeah, the end. Yeah. Perfectly. Not perfect. worth the wait. No, they invariably aren't. No. Are they? They're not normally worth it. 
Oh, anyway, this, this is called Metal Gear, or why I bought a sniper wolf figure. McFarlane toys. Mm. Greetings, Michael and Andrew. Greetings, Greetings. Bill Robinson. For that is who it is off. Mm-hmm. Did you notice how I covered the fact that, that I didn't mention who the email was off? I, I did, yes. I thought it was professional. Fair. And I think I got away with it as well. <laughs> Except I just drew attention yeah. to it. I've got a lot of work to do yet, haven't I? <laughs> Before we, we're in the upper echelons Been a long day. of primary podcasters. Uh, hello, Bill. Yes. Ah, Metal Gear, Bill's email runs. What fond memories of frustration and anger that brings up. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> but that was so long ago. I still have my happy thoughts as I gaze at the sniper wolf figure I bought back then. Why? Pfft, come on, guys, she's sniper wolf. Any woman with a wolf for a pet and can have a steady aim in plunging necklines has my vote. Is that, is that penzetamine? Is that what that is? She's addicted to penzetamine. Is it? It's a drug which keeps your muscles steady. She's addicted to it. Right. Is that What about the plunging netline? Is that just... That's just... That's just for the boys, is it? That's just for the Japanese game designers. <laughs> Fair enough. I was thinking today at work, continues Bill, that you guys and Paul... Pers- pers- <laughs> Paul Spataro, not Paul Pastaro. I really stumbled. I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, have something in common. He too is from the north. Wasn't sure if that had been brought up. Like you guys, though, we don't hold it against Paul. <laughs> I'm actually from New Jersey, so I'm a north man myself. I moved away before I developed the Jersey accent. Come to think of it, Mr. Gardner and Honeywell are north men as well. Perhaps we should come up with a song set to the tune of I'm a Lumberjack. I would listen to that if you do that, Bill. Bill's, in fact, Bill, that's your job. Yeah. Make that song, send it into us, and we'll play it. Mm-hmm. Sincerely, Bill Robinson, fellow Northman. P.S. What's so civil about war anyway? I don't know. Ask Axel Rose. Our next email tonight, Johnny Storm's phone number is the uh, subject head, and it's from David Riley. Hello, David. Hello. Hello, Andrew and Michael. It's my belief that Johnny gives Dr. Doom's phone number to all his former women when he gets tired of them. I can just imagine the scene. Doom is in his throne room at the New York Latvian Embassy. There's no one else around, and the phone rings. Doom. Hello. Voice on phone. Why have you called me? You promised me you would. How did you get this number? Who is this? You gave it to me last week, after we, Johnny Storm, are you playing some kind of sick game? Woman, I am not that simpleton Johnny Storm. I am Doom, king of Latveria, future ruler of the planet. Okay, have it your way, Johnny Storm. Just call me back when you get back to reality. Doom hears a click on the other end of the line. <laughs> Do you know, I quite enjoyed that, but it hurt me throat a bit. Well, that's my warped idea of the torch getting rid of his own flames. <laughs> yes, I went there. <laughs> David Ryler. I don't want it in the water this week that everyone's just sent us silly emails. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can imagine after that, Doom then uh, gets the GPS signal off the phone and then just puts a target bomb on it. <laughs> just bombs us. Strike bombs the Drone. Yeah. Drones the poor woman. Doom drone. Yeah. Doom invented drones. Yes. I think. Our next email, am I liquid, solid, or gaseous? I think I need to phone a friend. Is from Rob Stubbs. Hello, Rob. Hello to the lovely Leyland clan, led by Andrew Spider Friend and his faithful sidekick and son, Michael Morrison fan. In the land where a sword in the stone being pulled out makes you rightful king. I think you'll find he's my sidekick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I ain't nobody's sidekick, brother. First off, I've never played any of the multiple varieties of Metal Gear in game form, so I only had a vague idea of what you were talking about, Michael. <laughs> Vague's good enough. I would tease you, since you gave your father Andrew crap that one time about his history lessons being dull, by saying I fell asleep when you were doing it. 
Of course, I did not fall asleep. I was playing Warframe in my Excalibur Tenno using my Mat 1 Brampton rifle, my Lano pistol, and my dual heat blade melee weapons against a horde of killer Crispus robots, whilst I was trying to sabotage the spaceship reactor by breaking all the control rods inside it. Okay. I'm not kidding, as that is actually what I was doing the first time I listened. I looked up some of the art after I listened for the first time, and it didn't thrill me. Andrew was still being all positive and such. Oh, of course. Because I'm positive that I thought the app was generally muddy and unfocused and distracted from the highly complicated plot going on in the story. Oh wait, the plot is taken directly from the game, so it's not complicated, so clearly the art is designed to make me not think of how really simple the plot is by distracting me with its general metness as the story advances. I thought the Metal Gear Solid was actually quite plot-heavy. Yeah, yeah. The comic didn't really... Especially when there's loads cut out for the comic. Yeah, the, plot, the comic didn't really convey that. On the topic that. of art, I only remember this yesterday when I was actually playing through the game. But uh, it would be years after the comics, but Ashley Wood did the cinema... Because uh, Portable Ops and Peace Walker were made for the PSP, mm-hmm. rather than actual console game. Um, they couldn't have that many cinematics in, so they had a graphic novel-type style done by Ashley Wood. Right. So he did all the illustrations and animations in that, and it looks so much better in the games. Than it did in the comics. Yeah. Well, maybe he did a different art style of the it comic. It was very different, And yeah. it was crap. Mm. Mm, fair enough. Rob continues, I realise that the target audience is people who have played the game, so they already know everything going on in the comic, but it would have been helpful for people who did the impulse purchase of the comic to have a little bit more of an explanation of the characters involved. The character profiles that are done in the back were a lot more detailed and helpful in that regard, but as they are spread out as the issues come out, someone new to the franchise will be slightly puzzled as to what is going on. I could use the excuse it's an adaptation of a video game into a comic, so I shouldn't expect too much considering the source material, which is only a video game, but that always feels wrong. Why can't I have the same high standards I do for other material I pursue for entertainment? I understand the differences between the various mediums, which creates inequalities in what they can realistically do, but it's a cheap cop-out to say that it's just a this or that, and it's an excuse for not putting the best effort into the product. Oh dear, I've gotten entirely too serious in this email. (laughs) I think compared to the previous two emails, yes. I think the plot is alright, despite what I said earlier, as it has worked in hundreds, if not thousands, of movies and games and books and so forth, without even considering that they are tied to what the game does. I've now got my hands, so to speak, on these first six issues, and the art is... Well, it's clearly art. I think the biggest problem for me being serious again is that all of the art is a series of still paintings strung together in a comic book, so it has a static feel to it. I'm reminded of the Red Dwarf Series 5 episode Quarantine, where Dave Lester drinks the Luck Potion and finds all the stuff that Crichton needs as they are strolling along during certain portions of the comic, A Solid Snake finds weapons and grenades as he's walking through offices. I'm not sure exactly why such things would be just lying around instead of locked up in armed cabinets, but I'm willing to overlook it. I'm even willing to overlook the use of jargon, despite it being something someone with no idea of what the series is about might have a difficult time figuring out. I am puzzled by the wiring of the second guy, Baker, to a bunch of C4 with string, as while it might be cool as a scene in a movie, it doesn't really make sense as a strategy move. I have made a decision since I am going to wait until next week's episode to come out to finish this series. This email needs to be cut off here, so I will have things to talk about next time. Or I could talk about my cat, Pug, who is laying in the open window sleeping for a couple of paragraphs, but then you might have to rename the show Hey Kids Cats, which would be a shame for the people tuning in for the comics, like Luke Giaconetti, who some say does a podcast called Earth Destruction Directive on the True True Freaks Network. That's who you did, though. It's very clever. Mm. Oh, we don't mind people plugging shows in, in other emails. In fact, we heartily approve of it, to be honest with you, because we forget to do it. Yeah. I think it's a podcast about those horrors called Pokemon or Digimon or something of that nature. (laughs) This is your North Carolina associate, Rob Elstub, signing off until next time. P.S. In the Fantastic Four letter, I'm not sure if you caught the Not Just Some Muscular Freak reference, which is from the Fantasticast commercial, where the Hulk tells the thing, I'm not some muscular freak, which is a reference to the She-Hulk we draw like a muscular freak. Yes.
We totally got that, didn't we? <laughs> I didn't sail over our heads oh, no. in any way. Our next email is Patrick Kukoran. It's called Running and Listening. Hello, sirs. Hello, Patrick. Hello. Patrick's new. I think he is. Oh, we, we should have some kind of bell or yeah. something for newbies, shouldn't we? When new people email it, like a, a siren or clarion call or something. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. You are our 1,000th listener. <laughs> you are a new emailer. <laughs> Patrick here from the general area protected by Robocop, metropolitan Detroit. Though he would not have much to protect, seeing as that all that is left is urban decay, death and infinite sadness. <laughs> that is an excellent album title. <laughs> urban decay, death and infinite sadness. Mm-hmm. Though there is plenty of crime left for him to fight, <laughs> continues Patrick. I love your show. Thank you, Patrick. And it's excitement for comics and other general buffoonery. <laughs> that's something else that's going on the post yep. hey kids comics general buffoonery I like that moderately silly moderately silly general buffoonery <laughs> I stumbled across it about three weeks ago says Patrick and I've been touring through every episode at a clip of a two a day how do I do this you ask well the first I listen to while on my morning run when I go for the longer jaunts between five to eight miles I find they fit are just long enough I find that they are just long enough, but often never too long, and fit the warm-up run and breakfast perfectly. I also run sprints some days, and 20 100-meter dashes is sadly not enough time, and I listen to shorter podcasts, typically. But in the afternoon, when I strength train, i.e. lift weights, I also listen. You guys pretty much consume three to three and a half hours of my ear time. <laughs> ear time sounds a bit gross. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, you have mentioned you run. Do you listen to podcasts, music, your heartbeat and footfalls? Um, it entirely depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes, if it's if it's all happy and shiny and everything's good, I'll listen to podcasts. But if it's one of those where it's just not flowing and your legs feel like lead and you really don't want to carry on, I have to listen to music to kind of bit get of you hurt to... Song. Yeah, bit of, bit of that. Bit of, There's no easy way out! Boom! Boom! That kind of thing. Mm. You rocky say, soundtrack. Yeah, the Rocky soundtrack is, is cliched, but it's, it's very fun to run to. I used to listen to music, says Patrick, but found that my pace would be determined by the music playing. Slow stuff, I would slow my stride, and upbeat stuff, I would be hauling it, as if and it was throwing off my mile times. Thanks for making something I love, running, even more fun. Patrick. P.S. OCP, please come save my city. I could deal with ED-209s and Frank Miller scripts if it meant some money stayed in our region. <laughs> well, maybe mm-hmm. the people who run Detroit are, making their own. are listening to this show. Yeah. And they will go, well, we need to pump some money into it. And they'll build an ED-209. Whilst listening to Detroit Rock City to get them motivated. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. We've got one more email tonight. It's Steranko's Captain America. And it's from Chris Keith. Hello, Chris. Hello, mighty Leylands. I apologise for the delay in writing. Oh, well, don't let it happen again. It's, it's quite frankly all I have yes. to say to that. We're very annoyed. We're very, very annoyed by your lack of writing in. And we feel that you're... We doubt your commitment to it, quite frankly. Yeah. And we think that every morning, before you do anything else, you should dash us off a paragraph. Exactly, because we do find your lack of writing disturbing. Yes! <laughs> very good. Yeah, thank you. Or he could be what I'm sorry I let you down. Won't let it happen again. Mm. 
the most recent episode was a trip down Holy Grail Lane for me. I remember wanting to track down these books down back in the day, the mid-90s, and not necessarily for the Steranko art, although that factor was clearly a plus. No, I wanted these books because I was avidly collecting Avengers at the time, and an old storyline from Avengers 106 through 108 with the Grim Reaper and the Space Phantom made reference to in issues 111 and 113. Like a good little Marvel fan, I tried to track them down and tried and tried, and when I finally found them, two were in pretty bad shape, but 113 is beautiful. I remember really enjoying them back in 95 or 96, so when you mentioned that these books were the topic, I decided to reread. Some thoughts. Cap's full body pose. Yeah, Steranko uses the same pose for Nick Fury in Strange Tales, so John Byrne is not the only one with just a few models. I did wonder how the army, or Earth Force, it was never clear how exactly General Ross commanded two of the branches of the military at the same time, just randomly walks up the streets of Brooklyn with a Jack Kirby laser. Of course, apparently military activity on American soil in the middle of downtown Manhattan is just fine in the Marvel Universe. Andy, I know you said you liked this Hulk, but I think he looks terrible. It's not that he's smaller than normal, it's the face. It just looks... I don't know how to describe it. It seems like Steranko is a model for faces. Open mouth, blank eyes. The two-page splash, Steve Rogers looks like he just walked in on Ethel Merman taking a shower. The horror! It's the same look on every page. Hmm. See, I liked that the Hulk was lean in that one. That's what I liked about it. Fair enough. So you could gloss over his face. We didn't really... I, I didn't have any objections to his face. Mm-hmm. To the Hulk's face. Yeah. I get Chris's point about certain other faces in the issue. Mm-hmm. But I thought the Hulk looked pretty fine. Uh, Rick Jones continues Chris Cap thinks it's a good idea to take Rick out for the night on the town against an entire army with no training (laughs) it's a perfect night out for a teenage boy I would imagine you want to go and fight some Hydra agents Mike and more importantly I'll sit back and let you kill kill them I'm hoping that he's at least quizzed him to see if he might have seen some kung fu movies recently that might help Actually, the, before they went out, what happened was Rick Jones was just like watching The Matrix. He turns around and says, I know Kung Fu. And uh, Cap turns around and says, show me. And then they go out. Excellent. Because that was a quote from the film. Uh, it was, yes. Yeah. Well, well done. And now we're dropping Matrix quotes into well, the yeah, podcast yeah. now. But then after that, Captain America then has to go to uh, the Daily Planet he works there now. Does he? Yeah. Yes. As Perry White. Yeah. <laughs> All of the training in issue 111. Yeah, that's a little advanced. Why don't you try and teach him some basic combat techniques and not a flying Grayson's routine? All in all, still very enjoyable, but I think that Steranko is a bit overrated. And looking at some of these splash pages, Mike Zek must have been a huge fan of Steranko. Some of these look like 80s cap by Zek. They did, actually. Now, that's actually a very good point. You know, I did not notice that. It did look very Mike Zek. Mm. Mike Zek's bulkier, I think. But, yeah. Hydra must have had incredible hedge funds set up for their operations. They have billions of employees and they own islands. Have all this crazy wall-sized Kirby tech. I'm guessing that internal audit and the quarterly prospectus is not a big part of Hydra. They would certainly want some form of return on their outrageous investment. I'd hate to be in that board meeting. We are Hydra. Cut off one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that, Phil. But you spent 100 million last month trying to take over NYC again and we have nothing to show for it other than this ridiculous payroll. I'm afraid that we're going to have to cut bonuses for the quarter and move to a smaller island. <laughs> that is something you never saw. Mm. You never saw the Hydra board meetings or Spectre in the Bond films. Yeah. Why have we paid all this money just to take out James Bond? Why not just put a bullet in his yeah. head? Okay, enough rambling, and when I start mentioning board meetings for Hydra, I've rambled enough. At first, I wasn't too interested in the next Metal Gear show, but I was going to at least listen. However, after seeing the name of the writer, I'm able to track down those books. Shall I to buy a book because the writer spells his name the same way as me? 
Maybe. Thanks for excellence as always, gentlemen. Chris Keith. P.S. Doctor Who update. Oh, good. I like Chris's Doctor Who update. To the end of Series 3, and I've officially roped the wife into watching the show as well, as well as the four-year-old who recognises David Tennant. Success! Oh, well, I hope the four-year-old isn't gutted when he stopped being David Tennant. Yeah. Like, Adam was when Christopher Eccleston regenerated. Yeah, he was, was hilarious. He was very upset. Uh, and that's it. That's it for emails this week. So we're well under time. So everybody emailed in this week with brevity. Yes. Which is good, because it meant we got through them all. In, uh, brevity and silliness. Yes. <laughs> Some exceptional silliness. Yeah. <laughs> we approve. We do. We approve of the silliness. For our moderately silly show. Yes, we, we like that. It's very good. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. joined the crusade. He helped rule the night. He fought for justice. He wore short pants. Okay, so Robin didn't always have the best fashion sense. But there's no way that he should be ignored, ridiculed, or even derided by some Bat fans. He's been an important part of Batman's history for nearly 75 years, and that's why I've decided to give him his due in Taking Flight. Presented by the Batman Universe, Taking Flight is a podcast dedicated to all incarnations of the Boy Wonder, and every episode I take a look at the adventures of Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne, and all the others who have worn the red, green, and gold at the side of the Cape Crusader, as well as in solo adventures, whether it be as Robin, Nightwing, Red Robin, or the Red Hood. New episodes appear every two weeks at the Batman Universe, which can be found at thebatmanuniverse.net, and you can find additional show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. So join me, Tom Panneries, as I put the spotlight on the greatest sidekick in comicdom. Yeah, indeed. I was very into it. Well, there's a lot to cover tonight. The email section was shorter, but we have six, count them, six shiny issues of coverage for tonight. Mm -hmm. As we did last week. As we did last week, yeah. This is why we need the Q&A show. Yeah, yeah. We need an episode that's only a short one. A short one, one that doesn't require work. Next week's is a short one. Yes. Yes, next week's only two comics. Um, dense two comics. Very dense comics, but still only two comics. Um, in the pantheon of my favourite characters, I have always difficulty with the back half of the top ten, as they change depending on my whim. The top four are always the same, Superman, Spider-Man, Batman and Hulk. Not necessarily in that order. But after that, it's not something I can number. Daredevil's in there, so it's Cap. I like the Flash and Green Arrow. One thing I am sure of, rarely are my favourite teams. As a kid, I wasn't much of a team player. 
but still not, truth be told, am I? No, let's be honest. Uh, and even teams I did consider favourites, like the Fantastic Four and the new Teen Titans, weren't teams in my eyes, rather a family of adventurers that hung out away from the superhero set. It should come as no surprise, therefore, that of these, one of the people that would be in my list of favourites would be leader of the Teen Titans, Nightwing. Who are your favourite superheroes? Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's a question you'll get asked on Q&A. Yeah. And then you can go, oh, right, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Because mm-hmm. mine's quite, those are the top four, and then I'd have to think about it. Nightwing, as conceived originally, was the grown-up identity of Dick Grayson, ward to Bruce Wayne, and better known as Robin the Boy, and later Teen Wonder. Of all the characters in comics, the ones that get the least respect are the teen sidekick. Once a popular part of the appeal of superhero comics, back when the audience was predominantly boys aged 6 to 12, the teen sidekick was the kid's way in. Somebody their own age who they could identify with and imagine being. They were also the first against the wall when the health and safety police kicked the doors in and ruined everybody's fun by pointing out that teen sidekick amounted to reckless endangerment. The way most companies got over this was to age the teen sidekick, darken them up or fade them out, and the former was taken with Dick Grayson. Robin left for college in Batman issue 217 from 1969 and was part of DC's attempt to wash the stain of the Batman TV show out of comics readers' mouths, as well as returning Batman to his Dark Knight detective roots. See, the general populace's impression of Robin was Burt Ward's exuberant, naive and hopelessly square teenager, for whom the 60s was something that happened to other people, trading out bad puns, quips and holy exclamations with slumming guest stars like Vincent Price and Cliff Robertson, who'd been told to do this Batman thing because it would make them cool. DC decided one of the ways to return Batman to his less-than-sunny disposition was to turf Robin out to college, and so Dick Grayson began a series of adventures without his mentor were, against all the odds, a series of talented creators managing to not only give Dick a personality, but also began to differentiate him from his mentor. Under writer Steve Englehart, Robin made interesting guest appearances where he stood on his own as a character. Under writer Marv Wolfman, he became a fully fleshed-out three-dimensional character with interest in a life of his own, probably in no small part due to the co-plotting assistance of George Perez. Under Chuck Dixon, however, Dick truly became his own man. Dixon crafted his own niche in the Batverse in the early 90s, focusing on the Batman family. Under his pen name, the third Robin, Tim Drake, became viable and interesting. Barbara Gordon was fleshed out more than ever before. The Gotham City Police Department became populated with interesting and varied characters. And Dick Grayson showed his fun-loving side. Dick was a keen athlete, not as driven as Bruce, and therefore more fun to hang out with. He was quick-witted, comfortable with the ladies, and could take care of himself. However, the post-crisis Dick Grayson had a few problems with his backstory. Namely, what exactly was his backstory? This was exacerbated by Zero Hour, which was designed to clear up any remaining questions that Crisis on Infinite Earths hadn't cleared up. Questions such as, was Batman Year 3, which detailed Dick's origin, still his definitive origin? Was the Judas Contract, a noted Teen Titans story where Dick first adopted the Nightwing identity, still canon? How exactly did Dick give up the mantle of Robin? Dixon, as writer in charge of this little corner of the Batverse, took charge of sorting this mess out once and for all with three series, Robin, Year One, Batgirl, Year One, and finally, Nightwing, Year One. There are rumours Dixon had a fourth Year One book planned, but for some reason he seems on the outs with DC at the minute, so it's doubtful that this will ever happen. The reason to cover Nightwing Year One now is not to steal the thunder of Tom Panarese's excellent podcast Taking Flight, all about Robin and Nightwing, because once again, Nightwing is in the crosshairs of DC head honcho Dan DiDio. DiDio has a raging boner for Dick, pun intended, <laughs> having wanted to kill him in Final Crisis before being talked out of it at the last minute. 
He doesn't seem to like any teen sidekick. With none of the original Teen Titans reappearing in the new 52, and it is rumoured that once again Didio has painted a target on Dick's back, because it frequently seems that Didio seems to confuse edgy and dark comics with violent and offensive comics, and the word fun doesn't seem to exist in his vocabulary. So what about Starfire then? Starfire wasn't an original Teen Titans. Starfire was part of the new Teen Titans. Okay. And it's Infinite Crisis. Not Final Crisis. No. All that bloody research! Yes. And I cock it up again. Because there was I meant I meant Infinite Crisis. Yes. I totally meant that. Because there was a thing when you read it and it builds up to when Nightwing should die, then instantly they switch it to Superboy dying instead. Right. Because even in the same issue, it's pretty obvious they're going to kill Nightwing. Is it? Yeah. You need to point that out to me and I'll read that again. Mm. So that I can throw darts at Didio's picture <laughs> just because of that. To that end, let's return to a time when a writer could do fun and adventure as well as dramatic and touching. When a writer could tell 22-page stories that contributed to a greater whole, and when a writer could take a character that's been around since 1940 and do him justice, instead of wanting to kill him off due to his own irrational hatred. Nightwing, year one. Oddly, unlike the aforementioned Robin and Batgirl year one series, Nightwing year one, like the Batman story that started all this year one malarkey, ran in Nightwing's own series rather than in a separate mini. Serialised in Nightwing 101 through 106 from March to May 2005, the series was collected in trade paperback pretty sharpish and is printed in rough paper rather than the overly glossy heavy pain in the arse paper stock of today. It was all written by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, with art by Scott McDaniel and Andy Owens. The cover to issue 101 appears in the trade sans any copy or logos at all, allowing the art to really breathe. By Scott McDaniel and Andy Owens, Clayface rises from the sludge of the Gotham City sewer system to crush Robin the Teen Wonder against the arched roof. Batman leaps in to assist. I know McDaniel is divisory for some reason, but I love this guy's work on Nightwing. When you think of Nightwing, McDaniel's depiction is who I think of. And when you consider the characters designed by George Perez, I don't think that's any small compliment. What did you think of that, Michael? It's alright. It does the job, doesn't it? Yeah. Where's Scott McDaniel? Only Robins Have Wings kicks off with Robin arriving late to the party. Dealing with Brother Blood, leading the Teen Titans and attending college, have all taken their toll on the Teen Wonder's time. And when Batman calls, Robin still has to answer. Taking a snowmobile, Robin arrives in the Gotham forests of the night as Batman is engaged in mortal combat with Clayface. Robin aids his mentor and Clayface flees into the snow. Robin pursues and uses the territory to his advantage, freezing Clayface in his tracks. Batman arrives carrying a baby and berates Robin for arriving late, and Clayface uses the confusion to morph back into Matt Hagen and makes a run for the sewers. Thawed out, Clayface resumes his terror crusade and, with Batman left holding the baby, Robin takes the fight to Clayface, using his guile and initiative to finally take the beast down. Back in the car, Batman explains that the baby is Matt Hagen's, and this was all a domestic dispute. Robin marvels at the irony as the dynamic duo returned the child to Gotham City PD. Back at the cave, Alfred is delighted to see young Master Grayson return to the fold, but Batman locks Alfred out of the cave whilst he berates Dick even further for his commitment. Unable to fully commit to being Robin and no longer sure if he even wants to, Batman kicks Dick Grayson out of the cave. What a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening of the trade paperback I thought was quite interesting. Did you read any of this? Um, did you not bother with it? I've glanced over it. Uh, it contains a Robin timeline detailing Dick Grayson's story so far. And I feel like we should kick, carry on my wayward son in there. <laughs> the road so far. 
from his birth 26 years ago to his joining the Titans 10 years previously. The excellent website Collected Editions, in the review of this book, called this timeline slightly spurious. And it's interesting for what it doesn't include as for what it does. Post-Crisis, the 12-issue series that redefined the DC Universe, Robin's history, like Batman's, didn't really change that much. Post-Zero Hour, the six-issue series that redefined the redefinitions of the DC Universe, the Bat titles seem to make a singular effort to streamline the Bat Universe. The references here are a mishmash of pre- and post-crisis touchstones. The Robin Year One Annual, issue number four from 1995, gets more mentions than the supposedly definitive post-crisis Robin Origin Year Three from Batman 436 through 439 from 1989. Whilst pre-crisis tales from Detective Comics issue 38 from 1940, The Brave and the Bold issue 54 from 1964 and Teen Titans issue 58 are all name checked. The Robin Batgirl on again off again love affair from Batman Family is back in as is the new Teen Titans series from 1980. In fact all of the Teen Titans history seems intact in this version. Dick's origin was played with a little bit in the Zero issues of the Batman books that tied in with the Zero Hour series from the early 90s, which we covered on this show in episode 100, plug, but have also been covered by Tom Pamarese on his podcast Taking Flights. So go and check that out. This attempt to reconcile the events of Dick's life are certainly better than immediately post-crisis, where no issues of Dick being Robin were supposedly in continuity anymore, which made absolutely no sense to me as a reader. Fair enough. But none of this is in continuity anymore, so... No, none of this matters anymore. So yeah. essentially, we're wasting two hours of our life discussing this comic book series. Yeah. But we're not, because it's good. Mm-hmm. And it's probably... Is this arguably better than anything they've done with Nightwing in the New 52? The New 52 Nightwing stuff is good, though. It is, but why did they have to sweep everything else away for, to make that good? Chuck Dixon did an excellent run on this book, and did a really good development of the character. Why throw all that away? Because everything was thrown away unless it was written by Jeff Johns. <laughs> unless it was written by somebody that Dan Didio's friends with. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, fair enough. Uh, the splash page in this issue, uh, Robin is burring downers on a snowmobile. It's pretty damn cool as a piece of art. But for a splash of a major series like this, it seems like actually seeing the title character may have been a bit more appropriate. Yeah. Well, you don't see him. That's what I'm saying. You don't see him. You see his arms and his cape... But his head's covered by um, a motorcycle helmet, and the majority of the cover is taken up by the snowmobile. Well, I was just going to say, you don't even see the title character until round issue three. You don't see Nightwing, no, but seeing Dick Grayson or or Robin may have been helpful. It's not a bad splash page. It's a nice piece of art, but I think maybe seeing Robin front and centre first off would have been better. Well, presumably a hundred issues in. Yeah, but it's not called Robin, is it? Like you point out, it's called Nightwing. Year one. Yeah, but... He was Robin in year one. There is that. Okay. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. No prize. He needs to be Robin to be Nightwing. He does. That's very true. Only Robins have wings. Mm-hmm. Very good. The Nightwing's not. No, Nightwing's don't have wings. But Nightwing... <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you clear on where this was taking place? Um, so was it a sewage plant? I, I don't know. Whatever it is. It looks like Doctor Strange's Sanctorium. It does look like Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, yeah. Wherever it is, it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere, near a forest, and the snow is heavy and thick, which is contradicted three or four issues down the line. Yeah. But I'll mention that when we get there. What's not in doubt, this story is heavily influenced by Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yeah, Clayface especially. Yeah, uh, I'll mention in continuity and nitpicks. Robin's costume is Tim Drake's. Yeah. The third Robin, and the one wore by Dick in the animated series. But as far as I know, 
not wore by Dick in the comics yeah, before this, is, this. This has got all the bulk and stuff. Yeah, on and it's got the long pants and the long sleeves and, and everything else. In addition, Batman looks very much like the animated version, mm. for, certainly from the first 65 or so episodes. And Clayface is definitely the animated version, Yeah, isn't he? There's no mistake in that. That's the animated series model. Normally, I'm not a fan of taking the current media incarnation and applying it to comics, but the animated series was so well thought out, so well written. It works under the art as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's arguably that animated series is still the definitive Batman. Yeah. Not the definitive Batman in other media. The definitive Batman. Yeah. Arguably. Just because you read Batman as Kevin Conroy now. Yeah, the, the, well, not just that, but just the way they streamlined everything perfectly. Yeah. For the first time, you gave a rat's ass about Mr. Freeze. Yeah. For the first time, you found Two-Face genuinely terrifying because of that series. Very good. Uh, as befits a story about Dick Grayson, though, the story has first-person narration, all from his point of view. Some of his asides and jokes are quite funny rather than corny. He never says holy anything in this issue anyway. In this issue, yeah. But they do get one little cameo for the holy exclamations later on, which is very funny, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. When they do it. You know, after doing Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow, did you not see a theme going on especially with this as well? Nightwing Blue. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> Nightwing Red, as it would be now. Yeah, Nightwing Red totally works, yeah. Uh, I did like that he called play, uh, Playface. Yeah. Clayface Play-Doh. Yeah. And Claysicle. I especially liked Play-Doh. Mm. I thought that was quite funny. Play-Doh, sorry. I've mentioned before on the show when we've covered Chuck Dixon's work, I think he writes some of the best action scenes in comics. The first third of this issue is a fast-paced fight scene, primarily between Robin and Clayface, that runs from inside, wherever the hell they are, to the outside and into the sewers with Robin using his ingenuity against Clayface's brute strength. In all honesty, Batman doesn't do that much. No. In these opening pages, does he? Robin kind of does all the work. Not much at all, except for mess everything up. Do you think? you think he messes everything up? I mean, I've got the note later on, Batman is a real tool in this six-issue series. Oh, he's very unlikable. Yeah, oh yeah, he's a, he's a complete and utter... See you next Tuesday, isn't he? Yeah. In this story. And he doesn't redeem himself, either. No. He, Even at the end, when no. you think there's that heart-touching moment, nope. Nope. <laughs> um... Throughout the issue, Dicks and Peppers in flashback scenes from Dick's training days to the first time he put on the Robin outfit. These are very sparse, running no more than a page and often no more than a panel, and highlight that the new relationship between Bruce and Dick has always been one of mentor and pupil rather than father and son, which I don't actually like, because that, surely that borderlines on child abuse. I guess. Because there is a line later on, right near the end, where Nightwing says, you did the best job you could do, under the circumstances. And you're kind of like, oh, slap him in the face, yeah. Dick. So you do get the He's impression... He's not in a wheelchair anymore, Dick, come on. Yeah. You do get the impression Alfred did all the heavy lifting, don't you? Yeah. In raising Dick Grayson. Which is probably why Alfred's... Uh, sorry, Dick's well-adjusted. Because mm. Alfred did all the work. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little confused by exactly how Clayface's power works as depicted in this comic. After being turned into a clay skull, Matt Hagen pops out of the clayface body and he's human within it. It's like the clayface body hardens as if it's been baked. Yeah. And he just pops out of it. I didn't get that there was a person in it. I thought it was all clay. I thought I thought he morphed, you know, like Sam Man. I thought he was a human that morphed yeah, yeah. his body. I didn't I didn't understand this at all. I mean I get that he can take the form of a human. Mm. But that's not what he that's does. That's person in the club. Yeah, 
in this, the clay hardens as if it's been baked in the sun. It, it breaks in half, and inside of it, there's a man. Mm. So, I was I was thoroughly confused by that. That's not yeah. how I recollect Clayface working. Although, in calling Batman and Robin's argument a bat spat, yeah, was very funny. <laughs> I thought that was quite clever. Here we see the break in the relationship between Bruce and Dick. Robin disobeys a direct order from Batman to allow the Batman to pursue Clayface whilst Robin holds the baby. Nobody puts Robin in the corner, so yeah. he refuses to babysit. Mm. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to stand there with a stinky baby. Although, the baby comes along. Yeah, well, although where Robin ends up, yeah. I think I'd rather have had a poopy nappy than, uh, <laughs> than, than down in the sewers. Uh, where Clayface rebuilds himself and warms himself up with feces. Yeah. Needless to say, this is milk for all it's worth, but never gross or in a, a ten-year-old boy kind of way. Kudos to Dixon for his restraint. But Robin Robin gets down into the sewage system and he sees Clayface regrowing himself. And he clearly says, out of what, I don't really want to think about. Mm. He's in the sewage system. Yeah. What do you think he's made of now? You know, bits of dead rats, maybe? <laughs> I bet he stinks, dude. Well, yeah. Oh, that's that, it is just a little well, bit. Well, that's gross. why Batman kicks him out the cave later, really. Not because of the smell. Robert, you stink. <laughs> Get out of my cave. Get out of my cave. Yeah, leave a costume here. Yeah, I we'll, can. I can we'll live with the smell of bats. Yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, we'll burn the costume. <laughs> Oh dear me! Um, the fight with Clayface at the at the middle of the issue is fun, but it's the last six pages that uh, that consist of the drama of this particular book. Batman returns to the Batcave, and Alfred is made up to see the two of them. If Robin returns in the Batmobile, though, does that mean he just left the snowmobile? Yeah, he just dumped it because Bruce has got money to burn. Well, that's what he thinks, yeah. <laughs> that's another reason you fired him yeah. do you know how much one of those things cost <laughs> it goes to the Batman Incorporated board meeting yeah <laughs> and list off how many snowmobiles Dick Grayson's cost him and he's just a liability Bruce well, can you imagine how that would work though it's like Batman we need you to uh, we need your partner to stop buying snowmobiles oh I'm sorry Mr Wayne how, do, <laughs> how does this work again it's yeah so it does look like he just dumped the snowmobile hmm which is a shame because it's a cool snowmobile. Yeah. I like it very much. Uh, Alfred's very ebullient at seeing Dick, which is lovely. And he refers to both of them as my boys, which shows how much Alfred cares for both Bruce and Dick. In many ways, Alfred is father to both men, and he's made Robin a new uniform. Yes, I so like was, the new uniform. I like the new uniform. I'm going to mention... Well, I don't, actually, but I'll mention that in a minute. It's the Earth 1. It is. One, the yeah. Earth 2. I thought it was the Earth 2 one. Or is the Earth 1 one? Earth 2 is... Us. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's only a little bit confusing. No, Earth 1 is us. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the Earth 2 one, yeah. Yeah, it's the Earth 2 uniform. His reaction to Bruce firing Dick, surely you don't expect me to wear it, is a wonderful, wonderful moment of levity. I thought that was hysterical. Uh, in the background of the cave, in addition to the dinosaur and the penny that Alfred refers to as garish trophies, there are different bat costumes and the matches Malone disguise yeah. that Bruce uses when undercover, which I thought was quite nice. It's a very 70s jacket matches Malone wars, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you know what they should have had in there? What? The uh, ba- Batman of Planet X one. The Batman of Planet X costume? Yeah. Is that the Zero Hour one? Yeah. Which is reprinted in Batman in the 50s? Yes. Totally is. Um, yeah, it was, was a great issue. Excellent opening to the story, how Dick and Bruce broke up 
has been changed and mended many times since 1969, but the streamlining, it works within the confines of this story, even if it doesn't quite jibe with the Judas contract. McDaniel's art is great as ever, mm. I thought. What did you think? Well, yeah, it was enjoyable. I, I do like Nightwing. But the thing is, um, the change in the, um, him leaving this way, it kind of makes Batman seem like the dick <coughs> in the story. This was, but I think this is, oh, very good. <laughs> uh, this is the era of Batman the Tool, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so we're seeing that quite clearly being set up, like you say. Bruce is a bonehead in this entire issue, all six issues. He's not likeable. Oh, you go and saving people from Brother Blood, you're fired. Yeah. Yeah, I needed you here <laughs> fighting Clayface. Yeah. Okay. Because obviously I've never fought Cl- Clayface before. No. No, and I, I don't even know who Brother Blood is, but I'm sure he can't be important. <laughs> it's not me. So it's not about me, is it? So. It's either me or the bad guy's dick. <laughs> You're selling this relationship now. Um, because this is a six-issue story, enmeshed in continuity and nitpickery, the return of... Continuity and nitpick! Hey, you all said you loved it, so we're going to milk it for all it's worth. Although, to be fair, there's probably not going to be as many of these this time around. There's quite a few nitpicks from this issue. Again, we're going to reiterate what we do every time we do this. This is not us picking at the story for the sake of it, like a scab. Because I really do love this. I think this is a fun story. And Dixon's handling of Nightwing generally is some of my favourite comics. But rather, we just want to have a bit of fun, don't we? Yeah. With comic book continuity. Uh, At the beginning of the issue, Dick says he's been busy with Brother Blood, which kind of, sort of, fits in. This occurred in New Teen Titans issue 14, issue 41. However, in that series, Dick gave up being Robin in New Teen Titans issue 39, and it wasn't acrimonious. Post-crisis, it was added that Bruce and Dick's split was unpleasant, and this is doing its best to reconcile those events into a new narrative. Dick's costume this issue was unusual, as we mentioned. It's not the Burt Ward version, short pants and pixie boots, that he was wearing in the Teen Titans at this point in the stories we've just mentioned. Rather, a version of the outfit Tim Drake will wear, boots, long pants, long sleeves. It makes sense that Dick would have a different costume for winter, but it means Tim wasn't the first Robin to wear pants Yeah, in whatever continuity this is. Zero hour continuity? Post zero hour? Doesn't matter continuity. That really doesn't matter anymore, continuity, yeah. yes. That, that should be the name of the Earth. Don't matter anymore, Earth. Yeah. Well, is it not after a while the only people who cared about continuity was DC? Earth irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> no, I care. <laughs> well, I care more about the history than the continuity. Continuity gets written over all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. We're not really too bothered about that. Uh, as Michael mentioned, the costume Alfred makes for Dick at the end of the issue is the Earth 2 Robin outfit, worn by that Earth's adult Dick Grayson. I've got to admit, I loathe the Earth 2 adult Robin yeah, costume. Because of the yellow pants. Because of the yellow, yeah. Oh, what if Bruce was actually doing uh, Dick a favour by kicking him out? Because so he didn't have to wear this? Yeah. <laughs> That's why he tells him to leave the costume as well. Yeah. Well, yellow pants strike fear into no one's hearts, do they? To be fair. Except those of fashion police and gay men. Well, even, well, yeah. I don't think even gay men wear yellow pants, do they? Oh, I, I don't. Can't say I've ever. Can't say I've ever noticed. I know. You know it from our plethora of gay pals <laughs> when we go hanging out at the gay clubs. We're going to the gay bar! Or whatever that song was. Yeah, whatever. So if you're gay and you listen to the show, tell us if you've ever wore yellow pants. Yes. Because I would be genuinely interested in that. (laughs) They're they're a very, very bright yellow. 
yeah. can't. So I, I would be interested. We had a long email now saying, well, sometimes during this fashion season. <laughs> That would be brilliant <laughs> if somebody emails it. Well, darling. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Clayface here is Matt Hagen, actually the second Clayface, but the one most well-known due to being used in the animated series, albeit with the first Clayface, Basil Carlo's origin. There have been eight people in the DC universe that have used the name Clayface prior to the New 52. Wasn't one an actor? Yes. Was he the one who was in like the, the containment series? In the comics, Bar- Bar- Basil Carlo was the actor. In the animated series, Matt Hagen was the actor. Right. So they basically took Carlo's origin, kind of-ish, and grafted it onto Matt Hagen. So who was the guy in the containment suit then? Wasn't that a later Clayface? I thought was that it was Clayface 3? I've no idea. I, I get all my Clayfaces mixed up. Even I, though I, I read the Mudpack. Yeah, and Mudpack. Yeah, he was in Mudpack as well. The breakup between Bruce and Dick, as depicted in the pre-crisis continuity, was not at all bitter. Dick simply decided he wanted to be his own man, not the end of Batman and, and simply gave up the title and costume to the second Robin, Jason Todd. Post-crisis, in Batman 408, Batman fires Robin after Robin is shot by the Joker. This could still fit in with that story, as the dialogue here clearly has Robin say, this wasn't the first time you'd fired me. So that, you could kind of jibe those two. So post-crisis, it kind of fits with each other, doesn't it? Yeah. Kind of-ish. Kind of. Nightwing issue 102 was called Friends in High Places, and has a cover of Robin falling from a great height, holding a ticking bomb. Superman swoops in to save him. I don't really have a great deal to say about the covers. They're all good. It's a little bit misleading, this one, though. Yeah, because he's, he's still wearing his Robin costume on the cover, isn't he? And it? he's wearing the Pixie Boost And he's wearing the Pixie Boost version. God, you could go a little bit crazy thinking about all of this, <laughs> continuity-wise. Uh, in Metropolis, Dick Grayson visits Clark Kent to tell him of his firing when a nosy Lois Lane and an attack on the presidential motorcade intervene. Switching to Superman, Clark takes down one bomber and Dick, in a hoodie to disguise his face, tackles another. Dick's bomber falls backwards, trips and spills over the edge of the building he's on and Dick grabs a hold of the bomb strapped to his chest but it comes loose, leaving Dick holding a ticking time bomb and a bomber's ticker about to expire. Dick elects to sacrifice himself to save the many and leaps off the building holding the bomb but of course Superman swoops in and saves both the hoodlum falling to his death and the brave former boy Wonder. Crisis averted, Dick tells Superman he came for his perspective on the whole deal, and Superman tells Dick a tale of a famous Kryptonian hero, cast out from his family who used his skills and talents to fight for the oppressed. His name was Nightwing. Dick decides to take some time off and return to a place where everyone knows his name, Halley's Circus. Of course, there's trouble there as well, and no sooner has Dick arrived than he's stopping the theft of the payroll. This lands him a job with the circus alongside Dead Man. The opening splash is the Daily Planet globe with lovely white doves flying around. Today they are mocked by bats. Yes. Do they only have bats in Metropolis when Dick Grace and our Bruce Wayne come to visit? I think they, they bring them with <laughs> the cages. <laughs> Bruce has them shipped. Yeah. <laughs> that would make so much sense. It would. And I bet he has them poo all over the globe, <laughs> just deliberately, just to annoy Superman. And Superman flies over and uh, gets his doves to poop on Wayne. Um, uh, no, Bruce, Superman flies over and goes, Bruce, you're a tool. Yeah. <laughs> um, the opening scenes at the planet are actually really refreshing and an awful lot of fun. When was the last time a Superman comic had some fun in it? Yeah, in a Batman book. In a Batman book, yeah. Uh, Lois's investigative imagination is piqued by the arrival of Dick Grayson. And the scene where Dick t- 
tells Clark he's been fired was hysterical. I laughed out loud at this. How can he fire you? Asks Clark. He said you're fired, said Dick. <laughs> Come on, that was funny. Yeah. I thought that was hysterical. It's not a job. It is to Bruce. Mm. Good good stuff. Absolutely good stuff. And I love Clark can say, but you're partners. Robin Hood and Little John. The Lone Ranger and Tonto. I like that. Yeah. Very clever. Um, he doesn't say Nightwing and Flamebird, which would have been funny. Mm. And then I've Dick Grayson go, who? And then you have the conversation later. Yeah, that would have been that would have fitted quite well. I like that. Um, Lewis, Lewis, who the hell's Lewis? Lewis. Lewis is magnificently nosy. Yeah. In this story, she investigates who Dick is and then accidentally mm. interrupts Clark and Dick's conversation. Dick stumbles because he's obviously not as used to thinking as fast on his feet as Clark is around Lois. Hockey fans. And says they're both hockey fans. Yeah, which becomes a lovely little running gag. Throughout the entire issue, doesn't it? Yeah. With Superman jokingly mocking Dick about this later. Hockey? I can think of anything else! It's very funny. And then last, at the very end of the issue, Lois asked Clark about the game last night. Yeah. And Clark reams off all the statistics about last night's game, which was very good. I liked it an awful lot. Um, the President's Motorcade heads down Swan Drive, which is obviously not too classic Superman artist Kurt Swan. Dick... Still has a couple of batarangs, which he uses when uh, the motorcade is under attack and he dives out of the Daily Planet building. Does he just run to the roof? I think so. Because he jumps off the roof, though, doesn't he? Yeah. Or is it not out the window? No, it looks like he's run up to the roof. Maybe Clark's it... on the top floor. Possibly. Although, from, from the looks of it, there's no windows in yeah, the Yeah, well, but Lois is very... They've gone, where have they gone? So they can't have gone out the window. Yeah. So they must have run up to the roof. Um, he tells Bruce via internal monologue that he can take them out of his paycheck. Mm. I don't think you got a paycheck. Probably not. Superhero is like podcasting, isn't it? We do it for love. Yes. And for truth and justice. Unless you boost the gold. Unless we boost the gold, in which case we should get sponsorship. We should. That's, that's not a bad idea. No. I'm all. I'm, I'm with the boost the gold <laughs> initiative. To be honest with you. Uh, great shot of Superman stopping the bomber. He just stands there with the sun shining behind him and the doves flying. And no laser eye beams. And no red eyes. Yeah. How refreshing was that? Mm-hmm. Just Superman standing. And I love his line. Couldn't wait for election day to cast your vote? You stop me! That's what I do. That's right. Mm-hmm. Totally a Christopher Reeve delivering that. A happy Superman in a Batman book. Yeah, well, just a happy bunch of characters in a DC book. Yeah. When was the last time that happened, I don't know. Uh, it's pretty lucky Dick and Superman went to different bombers, though, isn't it? There's yeah, two they bombers. Went to the same one, yeah. They went to the same bomber. That would have been funny. <laughs> and there's another one. Superman would have still got there in time, though, wouldn't he? He would have, yeah. Totally. There is a slight credibility gap, Dick says, when you're a hero in a hooded sweatshirt and trainers. Is that a not-too-subtle dig at Scarlet Spider? No, I don't. Given that it does look like he is wearing Scarlet Spider's red hoodie. Yeah. You know, you've not read the Clone Saga, have you? You remember what he was dressed in, though. Oh, yeah, don't yeah. I took that as a Clone Saga dig. Oh, fair enough. But, you know, I could be reading too much into that. It has to be said Dick's quite curless here. He lets the man fall and then grabs the bomb. Had he had some bat tech with him, this wouldn't have happened. Although, it does lead to the great little nod to Batman 66. Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah. I can't believe Chuck Dixon got that into a post-modern... I thought that was hilarious, because I just imagined Nightwing running around to a, a bomb, <laughs> or, you know, a box that some guy gets out, or a, a, a bunch of penguins, guy, yeah. and then a nun. <laughs> 
I loved that. I loved that they got that line in. That totally, you know, I don't think they'd allow that to do. <laughs> and yet they uh, they published Batman 66 now. Is Which that, was quite fun. Is that not all dark and... No, <laughs> not in any way. Fair enough. No. How, how long will that last, though? Oh, what, before it becomes dark and edgy? Before, yeah. the, before he kills Dick Grayson in, in <laughs> Batman 66? If I can't kill real Nightwing, I'll do it in a 66 <laughs> book. Do not suggest that to him. Holy bullet in my liver, Batman... <laughs> Holy model bullet wound! <laughs> Holy hole in my chest, Batman! Holy blood spatter! <laughs> Holy, why did you do this? <laughs> oh, dear God. I thought we were past this to do. No, no, no. I wouldn't put it past him to do that. <laughs> uh, Superman takes Dick to the Fortress of Solitude, where he tells him about Nightwing, which is a nice touch and a nod to the Silver Edge. Where did Nightwing get his name in New 52 continuity? I'm assuming it's just the same. Is it? Right, okay. I, I don't know, because... I don't get that Superman and Nightwing are mates in the New 52 continuity, though. I don't get that Superman's mates with anybody in New 52 they, continuity. They've already messed up the whole Superman-Batman relationship already. Yeah, no, at the end of Batman-Superman, yeah. apparently we're going to find out why they don't remember this meeting. Of course. Of course. Yes. Yeah, like somebody's pointed out to them, wait a minute, in Justice League number one, we established this for the first time they met. Greg Pak messed up and now he's trying yeah. to fix and it. Yeah, and now, uh, no, the editors obviously didn't say to Greg Pak, wait a minute. Unless he's... They were, they were too busy uh, getting hyped over Greg Pak and Jay Lee. Yeah, but actually approving of what they did. Um, I do like that he says Nightwing was a rough translation of the original Kryptonian. And then he asked Dick if he'd like a spot of tea. And Dick asks him his Kryptonian yeah. tea. Superman's reply. Yeah, Superman's reply is hysterical. Only for Earl Grey's from Krypton. Yeah. I love Superman in this comic. He's funny. The, the, the Kryptonian costumes and stuff are very animated series as well. Yes, the Kryptonian costume. Well, do you not get a bit of Ed McGuinness from that as well? I got a bit of Ed McGuinness from all of it. Right, from Scott McDaniels out generally. Yeah, well, ah. in, in hindsight, it looks like Greg Capullo and Ed McGuinness mixed together. The bastard child of Greg Capullo and Ed McGuinness. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I can live with that. Uh, Dick says he's taking a leave of absence from the Titans. That will, yeah. That's a, a recurring plot point. Superman asks Dick if he's considered just being Dick Grayson, which was a nice question. Dick says he's always thought he'd be Batman one day. Mm-hmm. Which he he ended up being Batman twice, didn't he? Yeah, in Prodigal and then Batman Incorporated. Um, Batman, and, Batman Robin. and Robin. Need to read all of that to see if it's any good. Very very good. Is it? Yes. I will read it all and at some point I'm off over summer. Although I'm currently back reading The Flash. Mm. Matt Wade's Flash. I'm currently reading Sandman again. And I need and I need to to read the Clone Saga, all yeah. of it because I've never read all of it. Lois. Batman's first, though. All right, fair enough. Books are better. Yes. Uh, Lois interrogates Clark about the hockey. It was very, very cute. Although I doubt a classy paper like the Planet would have a headline: "Superman Saves Prez." Yeah. Wouldn't it have been? It's, the Planet's a bit more upscale than that, isn't it? Mm. In my head, it's not a tabloid. There's also a lovely little nod here to Lois dating Robin in the Mightiest Team in the World from Superman '76. Where, um, in fact, this this entire dialogue exchange is gorgeous. So. Why the sudden interest in me, Lois? Could you be looking for something more than a professional relationship? You and I have no relationship, professional or otherwise, Clark. I was interested in Dick Grayson. Bit young for you, isn't he? But you, you... Careful, Miss Lane. The planet is a family paper. Mm. It's funny in oh, this! And there's a Batarang line right in front for the entire time and she doesn't notice. Is he using a Batarang as a paperweight? Yeah. <laughs> oh, talk about rubbing it in. <laughs> 
without her knowing. No wonder she hated him at first. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, Batman in the final scene where um, Batman shows up and says there won't be any other Robins. He's until a real tool. Two issues. Yeah, till two issues time. He's a real tool to Alfred, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Um, I love Alfred's daddy's home. I told you not to do that. It's not a trophy or a memorial. I'm through with partners and sidekicks. Should I telephone Miss Gordon then and inform her that you won't be requiring her services any longer? Screen the outside as calls also. I'm hurt. I need mending. More than you realise, Master Bruce. Come on, that was a great line. Mm-hmm. Dixon's dialogue in this is fantastic. Some more acting as well. Did you like that? Yeah. It was very good, wasn't it? Uh, nice references to Batgirl, not yet crippled by the Joker. And the outsiders, Batman's team, after quitting the Justice League. Uh, another good issue. I loved that we're slowly seeing things that Nightwing will make his own. Here he uses a, a pair of makeshift Eskrima sticks before adopting the real thing when taking down the um, the payroll robbers at, at Halley's Circus. And I, I love that Dick's a, a horn dog. Yeah. A pretty girl walks past him and suddenly, ka-chong, blood rushes somewhere else. <laughs> Into his Eskrima stick. Into his Eskrima stick, yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Very good. Um, I've always liked Robin-Superman team-ups, and this is no exception. Superman and Robin have, when handled correctly, an excellent friendship. There's a mutual respect and professional admiration for each other, and just a hint that Dick has a little bit of hero worship for the last son of Krypton as well. As is the norm for a Dixon script, the action's fast-paced and fun. McDaniel's art's lovely. I don't know what Scott Beatty contributed, because this feels Dixon through and through, but whatever it was... It manages to make a creative team that's firing on all cylinders. The whole attack on the president thing's a MacGuffin of the highest order. Who were the bombers? What did they want? Did they work for anybody? All questions which go unanswered. But they're not the point of the story, which is about a young man's quest to find himself. Thoroughly enjoyable issue. Yeah. It was fun. And then that last panel, which makes me laugh out loud. What, dead man? Well, dead Hitler. Oh, he does look like he's got a Hitler stash. <laughs> I think that's a slight error in uh, in colouring. It does make him look like he's got a Hitler moustache, yeah. Well, that's unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> What's the matter, kid? You look like you've just seen a, a, a dead... A dead dictator? Yeah. You want to read my copy of Mein Kampf? <laughs> um... Mein Kampf Circus. <laughs> Mein Circus Kampf. Oh, let's move on from Hitler jokes. <laughs> Apparently they don't go down too well with certain aspects of the world. Yes, <laughs> And nitpicks. nitpicks. Very well done. Uh, I didn't recall that Batman led the Outsiders post-crisis. He didn't quit the League because the League that we remember as the pre-crisis Justice League didn't exist in post-crisis continuity. Wait, so the Outsiders were pre-crisis? Yeah. Right. And he, he... formed the Outsiders after he quit the Justice League. But the Outsiders were still around. Exactly. But in post-crisis continuity, yeah, he can't have quit the League to form the Outsiders. Because wasn't the post-crisis continuity establishing that Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman weren't core members of the League anymore? Which was that one? After the Crisis on Infinite Earth. So was that the blah ha ha Yeah. Right. Yeah, then. So that, that doesn't make sense, does it? No. Confused? A little bit. You will be. Uh, okay, this issue takes place in and around the time Dick has been fired from Robin, and he's taken a leave of absence from the Titans, which is all very well and good. Except, 
Wally West and Dick Grayson quit being Kid Flash and Robin, respectively, in the already mentioned New Teen Titans issue 39. Again, as we've already mentioned, the Brother Blood story ran through the next two issues, where Dick was on his leave of absence, although he still played a key part in the story. The book was rebranded as Tales of the Teen Titans, with issue 41, and the Judas Contract, a four-part book, ran through issues 42 through 44, and annual number three, with Dick adopting the Nightwing identity in issue 44. However, this story has established that Dick was still Robin whilst the Brother Blood story was happening, which doesn't jibe no matter how you look at it. There's no pre-post-crisis headache here, as by and large the Teen Titans emerged from that relatively unscathed. I suppose this could fit around the pages of Teen Titans 42-43, but it's a bit of a stretch. Zero Hour may also play a part in all this timey-wimey stuff. Uh, the Superman depicted here as the post-crisis never worked as a TV anchor version rather than the more historically accurate WGBS newscaster version. The Clark Lois relationship had also post-crisis rather than Bronze Age. Dead Man was created by Arnold Drake and Carmine Infantino, but he generally thought of being a Neil Adams character mm. because he had quite a long run on him in various different places. I don't think I've ever read all of Neil Adams' Dead Man. No. I picked up that really lovely hardcover that had all of it in at a convention once, didn't I? Yeah. Something like 50 quid, and I was like, I was so tempted. And, and I regret it. I put it back down and never bought it. There must be cheaper ways of picking that up. DC must have printed that in cheap trade paper back now, I would have thought. Mm. They seem quite happy to keep Neil Adams' stuff in publication, don't they? Yeah. Just not Chuck Dixon's for some reason. Uh, Nightwing 103 has Dick in a hall of mirrors wearing a dark blue costume with a huge collar that surely affects his peripheral vision. Stood next to him is Dead Man, who is curiously not reflected in the mirrors. It's fine. I liked McDaniel and Owen's signature as backwards, as if it was reflected from a mirror that's off page. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. reflections of each other. Yes, Dead Man is mimicking what... Nightwing's doing. Oh, Nightwing's mimicking Deadman, as it was. So is the implication, though, that Deadman has quantum leapt into Dick's body, though? Don't know. Right. Okay, fair enough. Well, he can't have done, can't he? Because Deadman, to communicate with somebody, has to inhabit somebody's body, doesn't he? Yeah. He can't just appear. Mm. I didn't think. I could be wrong on that. Like I said, I've not read a lot of Deadman. Um, Deadman talking takes place a few days later. Nightwing is ensconced in circus life trying to rediscover his roots. A creepy dwarf with dead eyes calls him Boy Wonder, and the new high wire act, Cleveland Brand, has a chip on his shoulder about placing his dead brother, Boston. Dick muses it would have been nice to talk to Cleveland, after all, both had family that died in high wire accidents, but instead is accosted by Doc Haley and Lorna Hill, the cute redhead that runs the show nowadays. She provides Dick with a poster of his father, Johnny Grayson, and says maybe Dick should use this poster to create himself a costume. Back at the Batcave, Alfred drops by to see Batman as a young boy bound and gagged. <laughs> okay. Something about having caught him stealing the tyres off the Batmobile. Speaking of little children, a young girl accosts Dick back at the circus, telling him that Cleveland will always be the jealous type. She has the same voice as the dwarf. Dick has no time to ponder as he takes to the big top for his warm-up, during which, of course, things go a little caca. A truck backs up with a lion in back, a coordinator not paying attention, children on a school trip. Wham! A loose lion. Dick manages to hold the beast off until tranquilizer guns arrive and Lorna offers Dick double wages if he can pull that off twice nightly. 
Dick says he doesn't need the money that badly. In fact, Dick's figured out what he does need. Later that day, Dick has quit the circus and used the church blacksmith to knock up a few tools he needs for his future. Cleveland Brand drops by, but he speaks with the same voice as the girl and the dwarf, and Dick intuits that it's Boston Brand, leaping from life to life, hoping to put right what once went wrong, and hoping to gain entrance to heaven. He tells Dick that he's already a better athlete than either himself or John Grayson ever were, and takes his leave. In the cave, Deadman possesses Alfred and tells Bruce that Dick is doing fine on his own as the young boy from earlier helps himself to Dick's Robin costume. And Dick dons a new identity crafted from the costume of his father, only coloured blue. All very exciting. Uh, the issue opens Dick's on the phone with Donna Troy, Wonder Girl of the Teen Titans, and Garfield Logan, aka Changeling, is making breakfast. Cyborg and Terror are at the breakfast table, placing this before the Judas contract. Mm. I thought that was worth pointing out. Dick muses that this finding yourself malarkey is all very well and good, but Dick is a social animal and he's lonely. It's a nice little subtle character beat that clearly separates Dick from Bruce. If a lovely listener could help me out, I never did get the Boston, Cleveland, Miami and Pittsburgh brand gag. Yeah. Did you? Did you get that? I just found it funny that they all have names of states. Oh, but so is that the joke? I never got it. So your Boston brand... And your Cleveland is, no, I don't have a brother named Pittsburgh or a sister named Miami. I didn't, I don't. I, I just thought it was funny because uh, they're all states. Uh, fair enough, I didn't, I didn't get it. Uh, like in the movie Batman Forever, which came out in 1995, same as Michael, the costume the Graysons are wearing when they are killed is a variation on Dick's Robin costume. Did you notice that? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, just a little bit. Yeah. A little bit more. Although this must have been a costume change, as in the poster Lorna gives Dick John Grayson is wearing a costume that looks exactly like Dead Man's costume. Maybe the uh, mix it up a little. Yeah, it's entirely Maybe that was his costume before they became the Flying Graysons. Back when he was the Flying Grayson. Right, he was he was just Johnny Grayson. Yeah, that makes sense because he is just billed as Ace Hacker about Johnny Grayson. There's no Mrs. Grayson on the scene there, is there? That makes sense. Yeah, I'll go with that. Dick flirts with Lorna. Of course he does. Yeah. He's Dick Grayson. Um, she's a woman and she has a pulse. So, fair enough. More and more I want a Daredevil Nightwing crossover. That's just Dick and Matt going out on the pole one night. Yeah. That would be a hysterical that's issue. It. Yeah, that's it. Because they just go out on the pole one night together. A six-issue miniseries called Matt and Dick Getting the Munchies. A superhero version of The Hangover. <laughs> I would totally watch that. Because Bradley Cooper would make a pretty good Dick Grayson. He's her, I suppose. Uh, no, he's probably a bit old now, though, isn't he? Probably. Yeah, he probably have to be much younger now. Uh, once again, Alfred steals the show. His dialogue where he tells Donna Troy how to remove batter stains, following on from the start of the issue, is wonderful, as is his rather pointed comment that Miss Troy knows where Dick is. He reacts as anybody would to the boss having a boy gagged and bound in the basement. He makes sandwiches. Mm. I love, I love that one here. Good day to you, miss. Who knows quite well where Master Richard is, but shan't betray his confidence, I should imagine. And then he walks in. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> oh, I caught him trying to steal the tires off the Batmobile last night. And you intend to keep him? <laughs> like a pet. Yeah. Is Alfred, can we keep him? And the last panel is really, really quite chilling, isn't it? We're deep into Batman as a jerk territory now. Yeah. He introduces Jason Todd, and it looks like he's going to terrify him. As if being bound and tied up in a cave by a man in leather and rubber isn't weird enough. He gets, he unties him, or rather Alfred unties him and says, 
Jason and I are going to have a long talk. Mm. And you're like, what are you going to do to him? <laughs> you feel very sorry for Jason Todd at this point. Well, you don't later on. No, no, he becomes a jerk quite quickly as well. So. Uh, Dick's circus costume is the one his father was wearing earlier, except it's blue. It has a plunging neckline and a collar that cannot help but hinder your neck movement and eye line, and is okay as a circus costume, but quite impractical as a superhero costume. It also bears no resemblance whatsoever to the costume he, for- he first wore as Nightwing in the Titans. Yeah. But that's for continuity and nitpicks. I kind of like it. I like it better than the one he did wear. I like it better than, yeah, the one he wears later on. Yeah, the one that he gets in the last page of the book is, uh, yeah. I'm not too sure about having it open to his belly button, because, you know, that quite clearly shows he's not wearing a bulletproof vest or anything. Yeah. So that seems a bit silly, but maybe he's looking to not get shot. Well, there is that. <laughs> Uh, after the fight with the lion, which has some fantastic dialogue again, Dick gets the circus blacksmith to make him some throwing stairs, so he's stolen the costume they made for him, and he's stealing resources from a cash-strapped yeah. circus. Well done. Well done, Dick. Maybe that's why you quit the same day you came in. Yeah, possibly. He's got everything he needed from him left. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, turns out Bruce is tailing Dick and keeping an eye on him from afar via Dead Man. So is it possible that Bruce isn't a jerk and fired Dick for his own good? Or should he, be, he could become he a He could man. become his own person. Uh, no, I think he's a bit of a tool. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, fair enough. If, if they'd have made that clear at the end, rather than him being a tool... Yeah, yeah okay, because at this point you are of the opinion maybe Bruce has let Dick go. Yeah. Because he knows that Dick would never actually leave he would try and be in the titans and be robin so maybe at the end then instead when he's off being angry and all he's actually crying in a dark car very possibly yeah. i kind of doubt it but you never know um alfred release reveals batman's identity to jason todd who makes his first appearance in the robin costume whilst dick does the same as nightwing on the next page although we get no indication of a name for dick yet though i did like that dead man took over alfred and i love i love that Batman has an ecto-detection proximity yeah. alert thing in the Batcave. And when he says, hey, Rube, Batman just says, Boston. And he doesn't even look up from what he's doing. Yeah. He's not at all bothered there is a ghost in the Batcave. Well, and Alfred says, hey, Rube. Yeah, well, it's not Alfred, is Bit it? of a giveaway. Bit of a giveaway. It was good. Uh, very much a bridging issue. Taking the character from point A, unsure of himself and what to do, to point B, full of renewed vigour for his new gig... Unfortunately, we never really get a sense of what that renewed vigour is. There's no moment of realisation, you know, the this-is-what-I-should-be-doing moment crucial to a story like this. Dick seems to be having a good time at the circus and he's looking forward to performing again. And then he suddenly realises he has a purpose, quits and leaves. Yeah. There's no moment of steadfast resolution where the central character is put on the correct path. There's no moment where Dick realised this is what he was born to do. There's no moment of internal discovery. It's all very low-key. It's by no means bad. It's a fun read. But I was more interested in the Batman subplot than I was in the main storyline. That's not a good thing when the title of the story is Nightwing. I actually thought this issue was... was, Yeah. Maybe it was Batman Origins Nightwing Year One. Yeah. I wasn't expecting there to be this much Batman in it, to be honest with you. Although he's only in like two pages yeah. an issue. He's still he, pretty important. He will he dominates the story. Yeah. Dick getting out from under Bruce's shadow is very much a part of the story. And, and so yeah, the shadow of silver. The shadow of the bat. Yes. 
So he's this, this presence. This issue series, the shadow of the bat falls upon Nightwing. Yeah, that would be that would have been really good. Yeah, uh, go on, Mike. Continuity and nitpick. Uh, not really a lot different from the last issue. This must still be taking place in that nebulous time between Tales of the Teen Titans issues forty two and forty four. Kind of sort of works. Jason's Todd's origins are of the post-crisis variety, first revealed in Batman issue 408. Of course, this contradicts that story's reason for Dick not being Robin anymore, but Batman issue 408 already contradicted Teen Titans 39, so tit for tat. Part 4 is called Night and the City. The cover has Nightwing swinging around Gotham, with Batgirl looped around his waist. Bats fly around them, and some weird bat-discus things are flung at the reader. Unless they were nice orangs. Nice orangs, yes. Unless they were going for like a 3D effect, I didn't really see the point of them. Because he's just wasted an awful lot of them after he just made a point of saying he didn't have any and it's cost him some money to get new ones. Yeah. So Maybe, maybe they're playing a game, he's throwing them and then they're going to swing into them and he'll catch them. Alright, that would be cool. Oh, Batgirl's going to do it as well. They're going to see who can catch the most. Yeah. And see which one's the best. Batman or Batgirl, sorry, or Nightwing. And then if Nightwing wins, he gets into Barbara's wheelchair. She's not in a wheelchair yet. So, <laughs> where, hey? Uh, the man called Nightwing makes his daring debut in Gotham City, first introducing himself to Commissioner Gordon, then making his presence felt to the citizenry of the city. Nightwing stops a carjacking that turns into a murder when the carjacker is trying to dump the body of his wife and mother-in-law. The man-wonder is momentarily out of his depth, but as his ass saved by dominoed Durdol herself, the Batgirl. Meanwhile, Batman has his new protege running a gauntlet of tasks to improve his skills. Alfred is as disapproving as ever, and it seems even Batman doesn't entirely trust Jason, planting a receiver in his belt buckle so he can monitor his whereabouts. Batgirl and Nightwing take back the night, harass the Joker, take down felons, and introduce themselves to the Penguin at his nightclub. A good night's work, and a fine first evening on the job. All monitored by the Batman, who tells Jason to watch the footage of Nightwing carefully, because facing Nightwing will be his final test. The opening sequence to this particular issue, part four of six, has Nightwing introduce himself to Commissioner Gordon. He activates the bat signal and flashes a badge Gordon gave him when he was a kid that just says, The Law. So basically there, he's doing Judge Dredd, isn't he? Judge Nightwing. Judge Nightwing, I am the law. Yeah. Which I thought was quite funny. Um, When this doesn't prove enough, he tells Gordon, Holy mistaken identity! Finally, DC owning the 66 TV show and doing it with style. Uh, the dialogue's great. Gordon calls Dick Dartwing, which I thought was for it. And he says he hoped he'd find a nice girl. Later, Dick says that Gordon needs to introduce him to his daughter, Barbara, who Dick has heard is a nice girl. Which yeah. I thought was a really clever and subtle piece of writing, relying on the audience knowing that Dick knows Barbara very well. She is, after all, Batgirl, and that she's very much a night girl, a nice girl, sorry, and that her and Dick have an off-again, on-again relationship. So much conveyed in one exchange of dialogue, mm. which I thought I'll, was great. Yeah, I like the opening scene with Commissioner Gordon. He doesn't seem uh, all that dumb like he is in the <coughs> Night's Quest trilogy. Yeah, see, and he's, he's also, he's not grey here yet, either. No, well, this is earlier. It is, though. it is only three or four years into... No, well, it must be about... Well, Batman must have been around about seven or eight years by this it's, point, It's it? one year into the Batman five-year timeline. Yeah, yeah okay. well, that, that's irrelevant to what we're talking about. Uh, Batman and Robin 2 appear in three pages, yet each page oozes with character and story. Dixon and BT have really made this subplot work in a very limited amount of time. Jason is arrogant and cocky. Batman doesn't see it, and as usual, doesn't listen to Alfred, who does see it. 
Batman knows something's amiss though because he plants a bug in uh, Jason's belt buckle. The action sequence in the middle, essentially Nightwing's first night, is wonderful. Whilst it's still dangerous, Nightwing is stopping two armed goons from a carjacking. Nightwing is funny and flippant in that Spider-Man way and draws attention to the film trope of chambering around in a sawn-off shotgun that actually ejects the shell. And then he does a Bugs Bunny impression. Which I thought was very, very fun. I liked him ejecting the shells on the shotgun. Yeah. Uh, what do you know? All out of bullets. Mm. I do like it when people do Bugs Bunny impressions. Uh, having taken them down, Nightwing thinks his work is done, not realising the driver has his wife's body in the back seat and his mother-in-law in the boot. I love that for some reason. Yeah, I, I did. I thought that was a really neat touch. What's really good about it, you go back and, you can and see look, her. you can see her tied in the back seat in earlier pages. Yeah. So I thought that was really, really, really impressive and very well done. Um, he's caught off guard by that, but mm. Batgirl saves his ass. So that's always very nice. The next few pages highlight the relationship between Dick and Barbara that was established post-crisis. Dick criticises her driving because, you know, she's a woman. <laughs> she doesn't slap him down for that, which mm. I thought she would have, and she just lets that one go. And when he's on the back of the bike with her, he even tries to cop a feel. Yeah. She does bat him off there, mm. like a professional. She lets the uh, bad driver thing slip, though, which I didn't think was very Barbara Gordon of her. Uh, they share a moment when Dick takes her to where they fought Clayface. Barbara's description of Dick's then-girlfriend, Coriander, of the Titans is funny. The Spice Girl. Yeah, the tall one with the green eyes, great tan, and legs up to my chin. Which I thought was... I liked that. Very impressively done. Jealous without actually being jealous. I thought that was quite clever. Um, she puts the kibosh on her and Dick sharing a kiss. Dixon would play with the complicated Barbara Gordon-Dick Grayson relationship to great effect, both here in Nightwing and on his run on Birds of Prey. Although, is there a continuity goof here? I, I don't know. In issue 101, it looked like Clareface's HQ was in the middle of nowhere. Here, oh, it's in yeah. the middle of Gotham. And there's no snow whatsoever. Well, this is a couple of months later, yeah. so there won't be any snow. But... I'd, it didn't look like it was in the middle of town back in the first issue. And there was more of a forest. And there was more of a forest nearby. Mm. Oh. Although, what what great what more of a great place to take a girl out on a date than a sewage plant? Yeah. <laughs> well, he does actually say, I can think of more romantic places. So it's Barbara that wants to go there. Yeah. This isn't Dick's choice. Maybe she just likes shit dates. Maybe she does. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the Joker's in Arkham, and Nightwing drops by to taunt him, which seemed a bit out of character, and even Barbara thinks that this is a mistake. Staying back, not wanting to play Clarice Starling to the Joker's Hannibal Lecter, Barbara's like, no, I'm not having none of that. The Joker instantly knows it's the former boy blunder, mm. which does lead into what I think is a... I did like the opening joke, though. Slight mistake. Hey, I know that voice. Boy blunder. Knock, knock. Oh, right. Knock, knock. Who's the... I see. I see who. You don't see nothing. Can't believe I fell for that. Uh, Batgirl works the pole in the strip joint really well, which Nightwing, of course, notices. Yeah. Because he's Nightwing. Um, it's not for no reason Batgirl calls him Hound Wonder. Nightwing points out she'd make a great pole dancer. She's got the exercise, I suppose. Uh, the Penguin runs a nightclub as a legitimate businessman and has an answer to everyone of Nightwing's question. Nice to see yourself concerning with the galley's cobble pot. So I guess you don't know anything about the upstairs casino, the whole movie studio behind the bandstand, and the abattoir in the basement. Quack, quack. The game... <coughs> quack, quack. That wasn't as impressive. The gaming... Quack, quack, quack. The gaming equipment is for my amusement. I dab 
apple as a film otter, and I prefer my meat fresh. But Jeffrey, Jeffrey! It's not like Kim Jong in Team America. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it sounded more like Zippy. Well, 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 go and get Bungle! Well, well, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Bungle's been very naughty! <laughs> oh, God, I loved Zippy as a kid. Um, Arby Bullock is a clean cop. Yeah. And feared by the penguin. Mm. In this new continuity, Batman is setting Robin on Nightwing. Is yeah. the cliffhanger ending? Well, at least that's what it seems to be. Anyway, uh, I thought this was much better than the last issue. This takes all the elements I love in a Nightwing story, his relationship with Barbara Gordon, his relationship with the police and the rogues, and his generally more optimistic outlook on life and wraps it up in a fast-paced package. And boy, does this comic move. It starts in mid-swing and doesn't let up, but it still manages to feature characterisation and moments of humour. Why the hell DC haven't locked Dixon down to write Nightwing forever is one of those decisions I don't understand. Continuity and nitpicks. Uh, again, it's all very nebulous. This could take place after the Judas contract, I suppose, if Nightwing were wearing his original costume that Perez designed for him in that story, but he isn't, so it's happening before that. Uh, as I've already pointed out, a person can go crazy thinking about this stuff. Concurrently with Tales of the Teen Titans issue 44, Jason Todd was trained to be Robin in the Batman boot of the time. But that was the pre-crisis Jason Todd, who was much nicer and not as big as Jerk. In post-crisis, Dick will meet Jason for the first time in Batman issue 416. Dick's night on the town with Batgirl and her not wanting to poke the burr that is the Joker takes on an extra level of poignancy if we assume that the next time she sees the Joker, it will be when he shoots her through the spine in The Killing Joke, which was published concurrently with Batman issue 420. So it wasn't that far away in the future as this as this story takes place. Nightwing's week meet with the Joker contradicts a death in the family where the Joker thinks there's only ever been one Robin. Yeah. Um, the Penguin's the interesting continuity loophole here. Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot went through a long period of dormancy in the Bat books between Batman 400 and Batman 448 from June 1990 when he was resurrected for use following rumours he would be featured in the upcoming movie Batman Returns. Here, however, he's operating out of the Iceberg Lounge, his supposedly legitimate nightclub that didn't happen until Detective Comics issue 683 in March of 1995 in a storyline that followed the Knights trilogy Prodigal and Troika. Does play a big part in No Man's Land, though. Yeah, the penguin running his nightclub, doesn't it? None of these continuity things may mean a hill of beans anymore. <laughs> Not really. I don't know why we bother sometimes. Didio's ruined all my fun. <laughs> uh, chapter 5, Like Killing Two Birds, was first published in Nightwing 105. The cover has a concerned-looking Robin and Nightwing racing towards Batman that lies on the floor having been shot. One, it looks like it's actually in the Batcave, and two, Batman's actually wearing his Batman costume, neither of which happened in the issue. Yeah, you know what it looks like, though? What? That they shot him and that they're both trying to fight <laughs> They've him. They've shot him? Yeah. That'd be a twist. It would, yeah. It? yeah. Nightwing just finally loses it. Yeah, and just shoots it. Uh, in this issue, Alfred is cosplaying as Two-Face, Batman has a plan, and Barbara Gordon calls Dick to arrange a rendezvous. How are all these things related? It's up to Nightwing and the new Robin to work all that out, as it's Jason Todd, not Barbara Gordon, who shows up at the meet, ready to run the gauntlet. Robin is as big a jerk as normal, and Nightwing quickly takes him down. But Robin escapes from Nightwing, as Nightwing puts in a call to Barbara to ask what the hell's going on. Meanwhile, the Urzat Two-Face and his driver Johnny Ledbetter, a.k.a. the Batman in disguise, are spotted in the street, and a mysterious shadowy figure orders him taken down. Sends a message, see? Two-Face is snatched, Johnny is down, shot, bleeding in the street. 
Barbara doesn't pick up and Nightwing owns the new boy wonder for a second time so of course Robin fights dirty a call comes in but it's not Babs Bruce has made his way to Dr. Tompkins with a few more holes in him and he tells Robin to abort the gauntlet and that he and Nightwing are to head to the estuary where Alfred as Two-Face is being held by Killer Croc good this one Mm. quite like this one the opening shot of Two-Face is up there with Neil Adams' cover to Batman Annual number 14 as one of the character's best depictions bit cartoony though Mm. although not as cartoony yeah, well, I'm not saying that's criticism. No, no. I'm saying it's all pretty cartoony. It's Scott McDaniel's that's all pretty cartoony, and I like it. Mm. I just sometimes as I'm knocked down with a cartoony Two Face. There's a part of me that always thinks Two Face should be horrific. So both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's not not good. Yeah, I like it a great deal. Bit of Frank Miller to it as well. Mm. On that one, I love it when he wears a black suit that's a black jacket on one side and a, black, a white jacket on the other and then his shirt is black on the opposite bird, side yeah. and white on the other and even his tie is different down the middle I want that suit yeah. I would totally wear that suit for Halloween at Halloween oh yeah wear it at work as well I'd wear it all the time yeah. <laughs> to, to signify that everyone I work with is two-faced is that what you're saying yeah, I guess it works yeah. no yeah. one else would get it if, if you want to be an art student about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Uh, Alfred's line about Two-Face's voice being rather hard on the throat takes on an extra level of humour after the Dark Knight movies. Yeah. Well, that was quite funny. Uh, it's not made clear from the issue itself whether Bruce and Alfred in cosplay is part of the gauntlet and then being taken by Croc's men is happenstance or if Bruce was already aware of Croc and his plans. The fact that he instantly knows where Alfred is implies he's aware of Croc and what he's up to before this issue begins, which begs the question, what's he waiting for? Well, there is that and Nightwing has to tell him later on that Killer Croc's the... Because Killer Croc's new at this point and no one, know who, no one knows who he is. Batman knows who Croc is. Right. Dick's never met Croc. Right. Which... And we'll get into in continuity and nitpicks is a flagrant disregard of post-crisis continuity. Um, it's a nice character beat that Dick is far more upset with Barbara than with Bruce for lying to him. Because yeah. with Bruce, he's like, I'm, I'm not upset when it's Bruce. I expect it from him. Mm. But uh, I'm upset with you, which I thought was quite good. That shadow, though, reminded me of something. When Dick sees the shadow on the wall, and I can't think what it was, it does look a bit Nosferatu. Yeah, it reminded it? me of Gargamel. And Gargamel. <laughs> I don't think it's a Smurfs <laughs> reference. It could be, you know. If, if Bruce is a big fan of Smurfs. I don't think that Bruce would be a big fan of the Smurfs. He's a brony, actually. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Totally a brony. Brony Wade. We saw a bunch of bronies. When we were in Starbucks last week, they were all sat, boys and girls, guy had a pink t-shirt on, I'm in it for the girls, with a brony, with a My Little Pony underneath. Fair enough. All sat on the tins, and they had all the little My Little Ponies out on the desk. Okay. I was down with them, I'd leave them alone. Yeah? No, wrong with them. No, I'm fine with them until they uh, start demanding respect for watching a show aimed for little girls. Dude, what are we doing? (laughs) We're reading comics. Let's not cast the first stone. Comics are aimed at, you know, wide audiences and both genders. Still comics, dude. <laughs> be, be the better man. Uh, Jason's a real jerk in this issue. He refers to Dick as the guy I replaced, asks if he was booted for talking too much, and then says that the test is has-been versus new improved model. Nightwing owns him. 
in every single confrontation. Nightwing wonders if Bruce hired him before the Joker could, <laughs> which is ironic given how Jason ends up. I like that Dick has his reservations about the kid throughout the issue, and there's a hint even Bruce doesn't trust him entirely, given he's never mentioned Batgirl to Jason. Yeah. So there's things that he's not telling him. There's the comment word, did he fire you because you talk too much, coming from the person who spoke more than Nightwing. Yeah, Jason Todd doesn't shut up. Yeah. Does he? God, is he annoying. Yes, he I'm, is. I'm glad the uh, Joker put a crowbar through his head. He can't say that. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. He's a comic character. I can say what I please. All oh, right, he's not a real person, so it doesn't matter. Um, the ending with Bruce... Oh, well, no, no, no. I was just going to say something I'll say later on. The ending with Bruce bleeding out on Leslie Tompkins' table and the new dynamic duo of Nightwing and Robin speeding to assist is pretty damn good. And the actual tale of Jason being a snot who is ultimately redeemed could have been an interesting story, but is a last cut short by that stupid phoning death gimmick. But based purely on this issue, Jason really is a tool. Yeah. Isn't he? And Nightwing taking him down every single time was hugely satisfying. Having Batman be a bit of a tool is a bit of a misstep as it would have been better to establish his changing personality as being a result of Jason's death. Especially as this could be read as a last hurrah for fun and for the Bat family as was. Pretty soon after this story, in continuity of zero hour anyway, the Joker would cripple Batgirl and kill Robin. So this could have been the last time they actually had any fun. Maybe if they streamlined it, they could have made those two stories one. What, he cripples... Batgirl and then runs away to Iraq before he kills Death, yeah, or Karak or whatever the hell it was. streamline Death of the Family where he, he targets all of them so he takes down Batgirl and Jason Todd. I suppose so. Anyway, go on. Continuity and nitpicks. I've just noticed before we get to continuity and nitpicks the driver of the train looks, looks really bored. bored. Well, I just noticed then that um, when the, ba- the killer croc when he's still in disguise and his trench coat he's feeding crocodiles yeah which is awesome mm. very very good very good very good, very good. Uh, there's not really a continuity and nitpick section for this one it's not a reiteration of what's been said before Dick ran the gauntlet uh, in a Batman Chronicle special from 1997 Dick's gauntlet was slightly different but I've never read that issue so I can't say to what extent I've always wanted to pick it up because it's got Lee Weeks artwork Mm. But I've never seen it in the cheapy bins or anything. Lou Moxon is name-checked in this issue. In pre-crisis continuity, Moxon was the guy who hired Joe Till to kill the Waynes. In post-zero... Joe Till. Joe Joe Chill. We've established Joe Till before, haven't we? Uh, In post-zero continuity, when Bruce never caught the killer of his parents, Moxon was an aging crime boss. So it's just a mention of him. Alfred being a gifted actor is a combination of old and new continuity character traits. And Killer Croc is a Jerry Conway creation who first appeared in a series of excellent stories from Batman issue 357 or so. He escaped the crisis pretty much unscathed, although he has been portrayed as being both intelligent and bestial in equal measure. Originally, he killed Jason Todd's parents, but this was later changed to Two-Face being responsible for the death of Jason Todd's parents. Pretty much it, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nightwing 106 features the final chapter entitled First Flight. On the cover, he's wearing his initial Nightwing costume, as designed by George Perez, with the huge collar and the gold braiding around the shoulders and torso. Gotta admit, the Tony Minero look has always baffled me. Nightwing is fighting Killer Croc amidst a number of... Teddy Bears. Yeah. Because the bears have got drugs in them. Yes. So again, the cover's wrong. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't wear that costume in the story until the last page. No. Never mind. Uh, with Leslie working on the Batman, Nightwing and Robin head to the docks to locate Alfred, who they don't know is dressed as Two-Face. Batgirl, however, does know this, so it's fortunate she's located Bruce and is also headed for the docks. Croc takes delivery of drugs and mentions his desire to diversify into weapons trafficking as Nightwing and Robin find Two-Face and discover that it's really Alfred. The ensuing fracas leads to an explosion which attracts Batgirl and the entire Bat family take down Croc and rescue Alfred. A few days later, Dick packs to leave Gotham and takes delivery of a new costume made by Alfred and he rejoins the Teen Titans. Yeah, low-key ending, really, wasn't it? Page one. I did love Leslie's line about trying to cut off the Batman costume and whining about it being tough and Bruce's complaint afterwards is just one example of the great dialogue in the comic. You know, as tough as this stuff is to cut through, it's only bullet-resistant. It's not bullet-proof. Yes, Leslie. No one is more aware of that than me. <laughs> he says he's bleeding on the table. Yeah. Bruce with a sense of humour. For the first time For in this story. For the first time in this story, yeah. Uh, I liked the random nature of the shooting of, of the Batman. It kind of makes sense to me that this is how he would go out. A random mugging gone wrong. Punk gets lucky and shoots him. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, he's still he was armoured, so I suppose it helps, but... Uh, Nightwing and Robin ride the train on top of it. Of course they do, because the superheroes, they never pay public transportation. Which they make a deal out of. Which they make an exceptionally good deal about. Um, Because Robin's terrified, Mm. which is a great touch. And Nightwing keeps pulling him back when he falls off. Yeah, when they take corners, he falls off, and Robin asks him about Nightwing, sorry, has to grab hold of the cape Mm. to stop him from dying. He could have saved us all a favour if he just left him alone. No phone in service now. Yeah, uh, I do love that he calls him Brat Wonder. Yeah. Which was funny. And Nightwing's reaction to um, Jason telling him that he found him stealing tyres off the Batmobile makes him actually laugh out loud. Which was a nice moment. Because it's a shame that's become Jason's defining character trait, hasn't it? That he stole the wheels off the Batmobile. That's the one thing everyone remembers about him. Oh, when he got beaten to death by the Joker. And not that he died and then came back. And then died and then came back again. Yeah. How did that work in New 52 continuity? He died and came back. Yeah. He just glossed over it. They, they just never mentioned it. No. Alright, fair enough. Um, the warehouse yields the fur share of depravity, some of which is very funny. Nightwing and Robin stumble upon a pawn shoot. Yeah. Which was hysterical, because Nightwing covers Robin's eyes. Mm. <laughs> I liked that. <clears throat> There's a sweatshop making trainers and finally Two-Face being taught. <laughs> so that's where Tudor comes from. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. Um, speaking of, Croc burns Alfred's face with his cigar. Yeah. I'm presuming the mask Alfred was wearing prevented any damage to his real face, although to be honest, as a torch device this seems a bit silly. Croc's burning the side of Two-Face's face that nobody will notice. And if all the nerve endings in that side of his face have been irrevocably damaged, he won't even feel it. Yeah. So that struck me as a bit dumb. I like on the bottom of the page where it shows the mask on top of the face. Yes, the mask is slipping because of Two-Face keep grabbing his head. Mm. I thought that was a good touch as well. What's the weirdest place you've ever fought? Asks Robin. On top of a giant typewriter, replies Dick. Fighting oversized props was a Silver Age thing, but the typewriter specifically seems to derive from the million-dollar clues from Batman issue 115, April of 1958. Nightwing notes that he talks and made jokes for the same reason Spider-Man does, to cover his fear. 
which I thought was... Hmm, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. Because Robin never really seemed to be scared. But no. I suppose it makes it makes a bit of sense. There does seem to be a goof in the art in this entire issue. Did you notice this? Enough. At the end of the issue, Alfred leaves a note and a package for Dick that Jason delivers that contains his Tony Minero Nightwing costume that he'll wear in Titans issue 44 in 1984 through to his own miniseries in the early 90s. The note says that this costume is because the last time Alfred saw him, what he was wearing was in tatters. There's nothing wrong with it in the actual issue. So according to the art, he just gives him a new costume for no reason. In story, there's an implication that the costume he was wearing should have been torn and ripped. But it wasn't, was it? No. Bit of a goof then. A little bit. Are we no prize in that, or are we just saying, no, that was a mistake? Um, maybe the lighting? (laughs) (laughs) The lighting. That's what you're going with. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. I'll go with that. Maybe he's stitching it up as he goes along. We don't see the stitches, but he's stitching up. He does it really quick. Yeah, yeah. Alright, fair enough. Uh, I thought this was great. It was a good, solid reinvention of Nightwing's origins and expands upon the reasons for him leaving Batman and striking out on his own. I personally prefer that Dick left of his own accord and didn't have a bust-up with Bruce, as in the pre-crisis telling, but given that part of DC's reinvention of Batman throughout the 90s included establishing what a huge tool Batman could be, I suppose this works as well as any. Dixon and Beatty's script is great, fast-paced and witty, and McDaniel, an artist I could take or leave prior to his run on Nightwing, reinforces why I think he's the premier Nightwing artist. Good, solid comics. Mm. What did you think? I liked it. I I like. Well, I didn't like this Nightwing origin, the leaving fired thing. No, I'm not a big fan of that. Because... My, my, um, I prefer the whole Bruce and Dick as well as father and son and friends as well yeah like, like we've got in the new 52 well before death of the family yeah where they dislike each other now mm-hmm. they'll well, get over that everyone dislikes Bruce now yeah that was not like it was his fault Mo- well alright it was a little bit um you had a comment about Scott McDaniel's art yeah it looks different well he's in cut on Nightwing was Carl's story. No, Andy, o- Andy Owens. Mm. So it's possible that makes it look differently. It's still Scott McDaniel, isn't it? Yeah. In every respect. But, yeah. Finally! Continuity and nitpick. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Leslie Tompkins was in pre-crisis continuity the social worker who helped Bruce and got him placed into Alfred's care after the death of his parents. He would visit her every year at the location of his parents' death in Crime Alley, although she didn't know Bruce was the Batman. Post-crisis, Leslie was a long-term colleague of Dr. Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father, and is aware he's the Batman. She does not approve, and in a truly terrible moment of mischaracterisation, she lets somebody die to prove to Batman that what he does gets people killed. Think about that for a second. Sounds like a great doctor. Mm, Yeah, I'm sure on one of the many Earths in the multiverse that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, There's also... Yeah, the five-year timeline somewhere, yeah. Uh, There is also um, little subtle nudges in stories that she and Alfred have a bit of a thing. You've got a thing, i got a thing. We can have a thing together. Fair enough. Hmm. I'm down with that. She seems a little too young in this. You think? Well, how old do you think Alfred is? Alfred's only supposed to be in his 40s or something in this, isn't he? Is he? Maybe he's 50s. If Bruce is in his 30s. she's what? She's supposed to be in her 50s, I think. She doesn't look like it in this story. 
well, in the original, there is no hope in crime. Ali, she looked an awful lot older than Alfred. Yeah, I remember being older mm. as well. So, uh, this seems to be an entirely new telling of Nightwing's first meeting with Croc. Dick is still Robin when he first meets Croc in pre-crisis continuity, and he's even indirectly responsible for killing Jason's parents. In this story, Nightwing's never met Croc. Yeah. So, that's a a papering over the cracks. The final page shows Dick fighting with the Titans. Jericho is present. Terror is nowhere to be seen. So, this page could be part of the Judas contract, or it could be a generic Team Titans fighting shot. Who knows? No one. No one. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Mm. I really did enjoy reading that. It was fun. Um, next time on an all-new episode... Of Continuity Nitpicks. Of Continuity Nitpicks. I don't think we'll be doing that next week. There's no reason to do it. Is because not? we're going to be looking at two. Count them. Two. Mm. Two issues, so it may not be as long as this. Yeah. All-time classics. We couldn't do it when the film comes out. No, we're doing it next week, because I've already started reading it. <laughs> next week, we'll be tying it in with the Wolverine, though. So that's kind of yeah, what we're now Rather than the actual movie. Yeah, yeah, rather than the movie. We should have done the Frank Miller yeah. stuff. To tie in with Wolverine, we're going to do what the next X-Men movie is going to do. Yeah. We're going to fi- We're going to look at Days of Future Past. And then when Days of Future Past comes out, we'll do the Wolverine. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, if you listen to this as we put it up, and why wouldn't you? Yep. let's be honest you've still got time to send us your questions you know the rules by now uh, and we'll see you next week when it may be yeah well it will be Days of Future Past because we'll need yeah you guys are a wee behind us it's yep. wibbly wobble isn't it oh very confusing we'll see you next week thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed this troll back through Nightwing miscontinuity uh-huh. and we'll see you next week uh, uncontinuity uncontinuity yeah bye bye goodbye
www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.